and welcome to another edition of Turn It a Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, as always, is my friend and your friend too, Chris O'Toole. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Good. How are you, Damien? I'm doing okay. I'm doing. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm excited to talk to you, my friend. I'm excited to talk about this episode. There's a lot to yeah. get into. A lot of a lot of meat on the the bones this week. Yeah, for sure. It was a good interview. I just I just finished it because I've been very busy. But yeah, sweet. Well, this is like one of those, you know, like, you know, like getting to talk to the Melvins. Every time <laughs> I like get to like hang out and talk to those guys, it's like it really hits me how fucking lucky I I got to do in this music business. You know, got to. Yeah. Like this is my apex. You know, I didn't want to meet the Backstreet Boys. I didn't want to meet Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Maybe, maybe Duff, maybe Duff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I met Duff one time and it was really, it was really cool because we got to talk about the fastbacks, but like the Melvins, whew, that, that's the band. So, um, well, it's funny you show. mentioned because I was thinking that same thing when listening, because obviously I heard the last one, but this one was so much more casual in the way it sort of naturally unfolds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's primarily obviously with Brian and then you sort of buzz comes in, but uh, and then the others eventually, but I was listening and I thought in my head because I was listening and, and, uh, my partner mentioned, Oh, I saw the Melvins back in, <laughs> I can't remember what year, 90, sometime in the nineties. And I was like, this is someone who doesn't regularly listen to the show. And so I was contextualizing like who it was. And then they said, Oh, I, I saw the Melvins back then. Da, da, and then, uh, and I said, yeah, I saw them too, you know, a little bit later. And I was just thinking like how much of like a, a fanboy I was of that group at a point. And then uh, I was actually thinking like, wow, no, Damien's just like hanging out. And like, and like basically you're, you know, you're not going to go to each other's like weddings or whatever, but, or I guess that's already passed, but you know what I mean? Like you're not maybe that close, but you're definitely like pals, which is wild to me. Yeah, it's um, wild. It's definitely really wild to me too still because like – like that, 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 like the Melvins are one of those bands that, you know, like them not existing changes the history of rock music forever. <clears throat> this is true. Yes, I agree. Because you know there is no Nirvana without the Melvins. Well, there's yeah, there, there's a lot that comes. I don't know if we want to start getting into this now, right off the hop. But <laughs> you're right. We should wait. We should wait. We yeah. we got a lot to dive in. I'm excited though, Chris. You can tell. I'm like I know, I know. chomping at the bit. Like here I am. Yeah. Like diving in half cock but we got we got protocol to follow um yes starting with your plugs (laughs) well starting with my plugs which we we never really get to but you can find me on social media at left for damien um subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to it tell your friends about it on whatever platform you listen to it thanks to the the good friends at vans some real exciting house of van shows coming up that i'm going to be doing stuff at um more on that on turned out a punk, but that's really about it, Chris. No, I meant the protocols we got to get to, which is first and foremost, how was your week? Oh, it's, uh, yeah, nothing. Well, I've been busy with boring things that don't need to be discussed, but yeah, no good. But yeah, just, uh, yeah, nothing of trying to think of things of significant note related to the topics on this program. Uh, nothing I can really think of to report. <laughs> well, but yeah, no, decent though. Any any live music experiences in the last couple of weeks? No, no, but hopefully that will be changing. My my schedule is going to be shifting, so hopefully that will open up my world of 
uh, lonely guy going to shows, too old to possibly be doing it uh, stuff again. Well, I, I did get to go to a show last week. Not a not a music concert per se. Okay. Um, I got to go and see uh, the the um, the live spoken word event of Danko Jones releasing his book. I've got something to say, which is nice. 10 years of rock and roll ramblings, um, which is a forward by the aforementioned Duff McKagan. Really? Yep. It also, wow, I'm impressed. It features an illustration by myself and by many, um, favorite artists, um, members of Voivod members of, um, Sam Hain members of, you know, Fiona Smythe does a fucking illustration, like, you know, some cool ass people. Um, but Chris, you know, who put out this book? No, who? This is the last book that will ever be released by Adam Parfrey and Feral House. No way. I didn't know he did that. That's wild. Yeah. This is the last, I, like, I don't, I'm not, shouldn't say this is the last Feral House book. Feral House is probably going to be doing some other stuff. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, they've got a they've got a they're putting out the book the Re- the residents wrote the brick eaters, um, but that's kind of uh, you're, but you're saying it in a like in a you know to contextualize for listeners who yes are yes. as nerdy as we are in like a John Peel sense like this is the last John Peel session legit if you will yeah I think I, I think the brick eaters might be something he was working on because of course Adam Parfrey, uh infamous fixture in alternative culture. Yeah. Um, put out some unbelievable books, some very controversial books as well on a publishing house called Feral House. You would definitely probably be familiar with the uh, oral history of black metal that they put out, which I think deserves a lot of credit for spreading the, at least a certain doctrine about that kind of music. Yeah. The book is called Lords of Chaos, but yeah. Yeah. But that's like the, that certainly was a, you know, that was their, I, I would wonder, I would imagine that was their biggest selling book they ever put out, even more than Apocalypse Culture. I don't know. Apocalypse Culture was older, but I would think, yeah, I, Lords of Chaos is just, you know, I would argue too, it was a little ahead of its time, which was kind of key. I know obviously it didn't come out in like 98, but it definitely came out before, you know, that whatever the hell, I can't remember that document, like the. Well, I don't think any of that. Like, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Go, didn't mean to cut you off. Go on. No, that, there was that weird um, – When the light, light takes, takes us? us? Yeah. yeah, that. Like it came out like 10 years before that. Yeah. So like, it was definitely – yeah. I don't think any of that stuff exists without that book. Mm-hmm. I agree, including the uh, – what was that? There, didn't Vice do a black metal f- photography book too, I think? Yeah, and 100% that doesn't exist without <laughs> that book. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's right to say I did not realize they put the the Danko book out though. That makes me even more interested. Yeah, it just is... makes me go like I would have wanted to read the Danko book anyway because I like Danko, but I had no idea that there was any kind of uh, whatever connection there. Yeah, no, you can pick up this book. I think it's still up for pre order now. It's coming out um, very soon. Coming out a little bit later in Europe. Uh, I love Danko's writing. He's he's got some incredible stories, like ridiculous stories that I didn't even know. And I'm like, he and I are friends. Like, you know, <laughs> I talk to him once a week on the phone. Um, so uh, yeah, honored to be included in this book, but it is certainly very cool that it's come out and it's something that, uh, 
that uh, we can all pick up now. Oh, they also put out a Francois Hardy book. They put out a Mud Club book. What, um, on Pharaohs? Yeah, like yeah, tons. For, Pretty, like anything, well, like a lot of esoteric things, but definitely a lot of like really, really neat stuff on that, uh, whatever you want to say, publisher. Um, yeah, and, a, and he was a really, really interesting guy too, if you ever look up interviews. Really, really had some interesting interests in a, in a genuine way. So yeah, that's it's funny that because we didn't talk about that when he passed. He only passed like a month ago, I think, right? Thereabouts. Yeah, we didn't bring it up because like it's uh, it's sometimes hard to eulogize someone like this, you know, because it's yeah. someone who, you know, like certainly changed my life in a very direct way with the books he put out and put out books by all types of people and all types of artists. Like he put out the Alice Bag biography, you know, mm-hmm. um, but he also made some very weird choices <laughs> yes uh, you yeah. know um the crispin glover movie um some of the other books that came out on this thing so it's uh, it, you know but it's someone that deserves eulogizing from my perspective because these are the books that you know shaped my understanding of music in a real way i agree i feel exactly the same in that statement 100 percent um, you can pick up a lot of this stuff still too. Like I thought, I, I, I totally forget they put out like tape op, you know, the tape well, op collection. Up, the big one, as it pertains to this show, or a lot of what we talk about as well, is of course he put out the American Hardcore book. He was the first publisher of that. I think it's still they yeah, still put they that still out. have it. They still have it. Oh, um, like you know, pertaining to this show, like he put out choos- choosing death. The, yeah, the the uh, history of metal and grindcore, death metal and grindcore. Like he put out. Uh, the bubblegum book, the the history of bubblegum music, which I think also that's a book that changed uh, a lot of people's perception of that music as well. Like, you know, recontextualized bubblegum music for for a whole new generation probably also helped lead to the populism that we're into now musically as well in some way. Yeah. So maybe it wasn't all good on that book. But, <laughs> um, you know, but like it also put out uh, the Lexicon Devil was the other one I was trying to think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's tons. Anyway, if you research, for those who don't know, check it out. Some cool stuff. But yeah, that more importantly, the Danko book in, in specific, as we bring it up. Yeah, yeah. Order order that book now. Um, it's It looks amazing. I'm so beyond – yeah, I'm just in shock that I get to be included in it, you know, because I really feel like, you know, I, I'm not an artist. Uh, I'm just like a guy who likes to draw – so for Danko to ask me to be a contributor was, uh, yeah, something really special. So super stoked. Well, I'm just going to push back on what your, your on your humbleness there, that you definitely are a visual artist with a very unique style that I enjoy. And uh, yeah, so I'm not surprised, and I'm excited for you as well. Well, but, and also, um, well, I appreciate that, Chris. Thank you for boosting the uh, the ever in need ego bubble bloom <laughs> that I live in, like. Like John Travolta in Bubble Boy, um, <laughs> or Boy in the Bubble. Sorry, Bubble Boy is the Seinfeld parody of that. Yeah, um, but also the reason I bring up this book is the cover and two of the pages are done by this week's guest. Nice. One of this week's guests, Brian Walsby. Yeah, the cover is cool. That's why I was actually going to ask you because it did look like his style, but yeah, <clears throat> I can't see the. Uh, there's no little unless it's hidden in here in the in the scribblings in the bottom corner I can't see in like a, a whatever a low res image but um yeah it's it looks cool 
I think the other thing I wanted to say this point really quick since you brought it up, and he has been a guest of the show, and obviously you've been on his show and whatnot too, so there's a familiarity now um, for listeners who may not have been as familiar with Danko, but um, I believe we've spoken about this before on the show, but I just want to nail home this point. Like To a lot of people now, especially generationally, in Canada where we are specifically, I do think there is a, a bit of a disconnect between um, Danko being associated with like, uh, you know, like cutting edge underground music because I think he's been, well, he was out of the country for a while. I don't know if that's why it was, but, um, I believe it might be back now, but anyway, there was a time, you know, probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago where, you know, in my opinion, he was at the forefront. Absolutely. And to see him live in those years too, the early years, which I think we've discussed, uh, was phenomenal. Okay. And I, I do, I don't think, uh, if I'm being, you know, completely fair here, I don't think he gets due credit enough on that. And I think that that the Danko Jones band and whatever incarnation he had in those sort of first four years in specific was always like an incredible thing to catch in a real, real serious way. Like some of the best shows I saw in, the, in those years were definitely him performing. So. Those of you who are sleeping on him is what I'm trying to say because either you've sort of come to it too late and you've heard a later record or something. Not that they're, you know, all his records are fine, but the early stuff is really, really important and you should really pay attention and try to look up on that and check out this book for that very reason. Yeah, like we kind of, you know, it's funny because, you know, you looked around that room and it was, you know, people that know music like Simon Harvey, Luann, who has come on the show before that own Full Blast Records, like, those were all people in the audience for this book launch um, because mm-hmm. Danko Jones is, you know, we talk about Teen Craig Combo being the best live band ever out of Toronto. I, yeah. I, it'd be a, it, you know, maybe Danko Jones would be the only band that I think could come close. Cause. Well, I would, what I, the way I would put it is like in a, in a comparative manner, as is the way of the show. Again, I would say that Teen Crud were like our dwarves in a totally different sort of context. And Danko was like our new bomb Turks. So it's kind of what you prefer, I guess, but I yeah, would, like, I don't know. I think Danko's more like our, our stooges at that point. Like, you know, like in the, not like in a different way, obviously not, not the violence and things like that. And the, yeah, yeah. But I mean, just as far as like a, a front person of a different caliber. That is true. Yes. You are nailing that. That is something that new bomb Turks, yeah, yeah, that's not an app comparison from me on that. You are correct. I you just went way back and used the used the Stooges, which I yeah, I don't know if I would have went there, but yes, I know what you mean. The well, yeah, of Danko, I, I went to the Stooges because I was just trying to think of like yeah, yeah. you know a band that's kind of like defined by a front person, which is nothing to take away yep. from JC because JC is awesome and is you know as much a part of Danko Jones as as Danko is. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. But at the same time, it's just like that that's like a person that when you see him on stage, I remember the first time I saw him on stage and it was just like, Oh shit. Like that guy is, is, is a front person. Yeah. He was a force or is a force, but definitely early on. Like I, I thought that too, it was intimidating. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't know him and I wasn't from Toronto. I'm not from Toronto. <laughs> so I never had that familiarity other than just hearing of this, of, you know, the Danko Jones band and going to see it. And it was, you know, it was very, very, um, you know, it wasn't edgy, but it was very, very, like, uh, intense. 
And so to watch him was was no joke, you know. So it was a really kind of cool experience to see someone performing in that manner and also performing like, you know, rock and roll for real in those years, yeah. which again yeah. was sort of starved in those years. Like you, this is pre, you know, the strokes coming out and pre kind of the white stripes being everywhere. And, you know, so it was like in that era where you had a lot of bad, you know, like new metal dominating the airwaves, even in Canada and just nonsense. So to see like a real deal, no bone, like no BS, like rock group, rock and roll group and have this dude fronting it. That was like totally, you know, a bit out of context as well. Cause he was almost channeling like a, like a, this sort of different persona than his like real life thing, which I didn't know at the time. And, uh, Anyway, yeah, just a phenomenal performer and band. The early records I, I feel are are really important. Sonic Onion in Canada put out that first seven inch, which I still own and love. And uh, yeah, Exclaim put out that first seven inch, I think, with Sonic Onion. Okay, either way, but yeah, like I, I remember getting it. I thought it was Sonic Onion, but either no, way, you're right. Sonic Onion did put it out. I, re- I just remember there's some Exclaim connection. Maybe just Ian Danzig had the test press, and that's where I heard it because he brought it into Mods and Rockers to play it. Um, ahead of the exclaim party that they were playing that year. Oh, okay. And that Makes was the first sense. time I heard that single, but you're sorry. You're right. It was Sonic. Again. Yeah. But, uh, regardless, I just, you know, I feel like we've emphasized it enough, but I, I cannot understate or overstate rather, um, you know, how I feel about him as a performer, you know, to this day, but also, you know, those early years in specific, hugely impactful on me. Yeah, and I, I am once again also like someone that has written for years as well and is definitely got a voice as a writer. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's cool. Like it, it's really cool to see. I just love books, you know, and, and to get, you know, like all these things. Like I've obviously been able to read these columns on the internet for a while. Um, but to have them actually like sit down and put to like paper, I don't know, it just makes it seem so much more real. But I guess I'm just a child of format. <laughs> yeah i think we both are but yes <laughs> um i think there's still something in my brain that when it's committed to print it somehow legitimizes it in a way that it had not been legitimized before even if it's something that had been you know existing on the internet or whatever there's still something in my old uh obsolete brain that feels that that is the you know that is the achievement or what have you yeah i totally agree totally totally agree um uh, well, I guess like moving on from that, I, th- I suppose yeah. next thing we got to do is tear open this mailbag. All right. Well, we had a few this week. Um, we'll start off with one topic footnotes from, uh, Janny. I believe that's how it's pronounced. J A N N E. I hope I have that right. Anyway. Um, just wanted to thank us for doing the podcast. I am assuming that's more directed at Damien for doing... Oh, no, it said both. Okay, so I can accept a little credit here. Um, been listening since February of 2017, pardon me. Um, the shows have definitely brought a lot of joy. And uh, just wanted to comment on the point from the last Footnotes episode with Damien and Dave. Uh, talking about vocalists who have started out by playing an instrument in a band they would later sing in. First one that came to mind was Rodrigo Alfaro. I think that's how you say his last name, yep. uh, who started out as the drummer of the Satanic Surfers, who took over vocals by the first album while still playing drums and later gave up drums entirely. I didn't know that. I thought he always played drums in that band. Have you ever anyway, seen those um, photos of him jumping off the stool? Yeah, I, I thought there was like, yeah, they did crazy antics, I thought. But um, 
Anyway, the, the email continues here. A great drummer, a great vocalist, uh, one of the best bands coming on the 90s skate punk scene, maybe a future guest, question mark. And Satanic Surfers just mentions they have a new record out, and they uh, they love them, basically. And, uh, yeah, so there we go. That's the uh, the first message, Dame. What uh, what says the? Uh, yeah, like I would love to have them on the show, um, and that potentially is something in the works because they are playing – uh, 77 festival this summer and turn at a punk is going to be there. Nice. So, uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to sit down and talk to him because also Chris, are you into intensity at all? I know the band, I never got into them much, but I know one of the records a little bit. Well, I was going to say it's a black and white cover. That probably doesn't narrow it down, but well, the first one was- is red and black and that yeah. is top 10, uh, EPs for me. Really? Yeah. We may have discussed this way back when, but um, on this show, meaning. Um, there is one. I'm trying to look it up right now on our friend, The Resource. I just have to pull it up. It's black and white cover. It's a full length. Or is it a 10-inch? Oh, no, the one that well, the range put out? No, I don't I don't think they did, but I could be wrong. Ruins of Our Future, deranged to the uh, a North American press of. Maybe it isn't that. What is the one I'm familiar with? There's also a 10-inch that uh, wash off the lies that... That might be it. But I don't remember hearing it as a 10... Oh, it did come out as a CD as well. Yeah, yeah that would make sense. Bad Taste put it out. Because I remember when I... Like, this is 98 when it came out. Yeah, this is the one I'm familiar with. Um, like, vaguely. <laughs> oh, wow. They did a Lies Blood cover? I do not remember that. <laughs> but, yeah. It's a sick cover. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, decent enough band. But what about it? Um, that no, the bought and sold record is one of my favorite records of all time. I gotta get the ten inch of this. Oh, Twenty eight dollars. Now this is a turn out a punk wish list. There you go. Um, <laughs> we need to figure out a way to actually do that. Discogs needs to to actually make a wish list. A That'd gift be list like, feature, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. work on that. Any uh, tech people listening, bored coding right now. Uh, you know, pitch that however it needs to be pitched, and let's get on this. Also, sponsor the show. Anyway, continue. Yes, um, but get on it first because we need that more. Than we need to sponsor <laughs> yeah, true, exactly, very true. <laughs> uh, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, that's it for uh, that next email. Yes, sorry, I just had have a little lozenge, so my no hopefully I'm not messing up. White whale is the next email. Hey guys, uh, sorry, it's from Mitch. Long-time listener, first-time emailer. My question is with the wrestling punk connection, running wild through the world. Who from both worlds are your white whale? Question mark. Damien. Um, like I, this show's weird because like there's I, it's like kind of I let stuff happen now that Tristan and sh- my brother and show producer. And Chris's friend, uh, as well. <laughs> yes, has, and great, great guy. I like the way you said, and Chris's friend. Yeah, <laughs> as in not not your friend. <laughs> well, we've got we've got several of the relationships that uh, come get in the way of our friendship sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he's ever since Tristan. Just kidding, Tristan. Ever since he came aboard, there's been a lot more kind of active booking. But apart from that, like normally, I let things just kind of like organically happen. Like, um. There's a couple of people that have been ducking the podcast from the worlds of punk wrestling that I'd love to get on. Um, but I think the only real white whales would be 
the uh, CM Punk would be an amazing person to finally have on the show. Uh, and also, I guess, Sami Zayn. You know, it'd be cool to have Sami Zayn. Seth Rollins, too, because he named himself after Henry Rollins. And he used to, like, mosh as part of his entrance. Um, I'm trying to think of other people. But, like, th- those are the ones that jumped to my head immediately. There, there are definitely some other ones that I, I've been meaning to have on or haven't had on yet. But those are the ones that uh, I I really haven't even reached out to. WWE didn't even try. Yeah, gotcha. Um, but if you know them, like, reach out, you know. CM Punk uh, just won a lawsuit. He's going to have a UFC fight this weekend, but then he's he's got some free time, I would imagine. Yeah. You know? I've got White Whale guests for you, but they're they're in the punk world, not in the wrestling world. Yeah. Like, surprise. Yeah, and then also, like, there's, like, you know, other White Whales from the other uh, sports worlds that we have to get on the show as well. <laughs> yes, exactly. That, too. You know, Scott Radinsky. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I'm surprised. Well, now you got an in. Oh, well, I've had you know I've had the in for a while, but I just feel weird like pursuing it, and then it's like it's hard, and I forget to email the person, and it's awkward when I finally do, and you know, um, you know, I just yeah, I just prefer Tristan doesn't now. Yeah, no, I, I 100% am with you. And Tristan doesn't like wrestling, so he's not going to reach out to these wrestlers. <laughs> that is accurate. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I have a few. I have a few for your show, but I tell you all the time. Yeah, there's definitely, like, and believe me, there's people I want to have on the show, but I'm just saying specifically from the world of pro wrestling, um, yeah. the ones that immediately jump to mind are are those. and and uh, But I'm sure there's, like, you know, there's other people as well. Ruby Riot, yeah, I'd like to have her on. I hear she's like, you know, a deep punk head as well. Uh, yeah, there's there's other people as well. You know, WWE's got got a lot. You know, they got a lot locked away in their Connecticut tower that I would love to have on the show. So maybe one day, maybe one day they'll come to me. They'll be like, hey, you know what? We love this Bruce Pritchard podcast, but we also want Turned Out a Punk on our network to talk about the punk wrestling connection. While we're on this, actually, I have a question for you because it just came to my mind based on everything you're saying. Imagine as a like uh, joint promotional thing, they had some kind of wrestler who was of this persuasion that we're discussing. And they were like, well, you know, or say this dude's management or, or woman's management, whatever, reaches out and says, okay, well, we want to do the show, but also this person's on like this, whatever, whatever wrestling you know, network or fed. And they're like, part of this is what we want to do is a legit, you know, interview, but we also want to work you into the storyline briefly and do like this thing. Would you do it? Uh, I like, I like, I, I, I I, like, I would never want to take a spot from a wrestler. You know, I don't mean wrestle. I mean like, you know how they do those like little spoof things where it's like, yeah, they work an angle. Yeah, uh, working like angle. Little, like, if they could like, if we could find a way to work it where I was like somehow being respectful of the business and and not, you know, overstepping my bounds and stuff like that. Like, yeah, like what wrestling, what you know, like what fan doesn't one day want to like find a way to be part of the story in some small part? And I've gotten it like you know, I've been lucky. I I did a TV show about pro wrestling. I don't know if I've ever talked about it on here. Uh, <laughs> never no but in the course of that thing i got to be involved in a couple of, like wrestling things just in live situations and it's yeah 
it's fun, man. Like that's part of the thrill is like going to those shows and, and participating and, and being, you know, a part of it as an audience member. So to be able to kind of be involved in it, but Chris, are you just like trying to fuck with your stone friend over here and get me to think about all these fantasies that I have? About- no, not at all. I, no. I did regret it as soon as I asked it though. Cause I realized like, of course you would just say yes to this. Yeah, like, why would you? I'd be very stoked. <laughs> but I, I would also, but you know, I, I have my hesitations, you know, I would, I would like not want to uh, be at all disrespectful to to this bit to the great art form of pro wrestling. <laughs> yep, the greatest art form, <laughs> in my opinion, <laughs> the truest art form. We can at least agree with that. This is the truest no, art form. No, no the, we don't agree on anything on this issue, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, that's okay. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> Fair. Uh, so the next email also contain, contains pardon me a little bit of wrestling of uh, course so it's the thing that cuts we'll across it. it's a great unifier chris well you've 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 uh, directed it in this manner lately thematically so i feel it's it's fitting um but uh this uh, writer dave m writes in says big fan of both podcasts just to get out of the way he is on the side of skating as the most adjacent sport however he writes, I have been lucky enough to spend time with and get to know Rick Flair through my work in Florida. He's a really cool guy. He was great with his fans, but I grew up in the 80s and skating and skate mags were how we found out about punk down in down south in the Tampa area as suburban kids. Uh, Tampa's a great scene going back a long way, played in bands, was lucky enough to have shared the stage with many influential groups in the mainly in the 90s, but I digress. Um, Right, because I don't think you've ever mentioned the adolescents as a hugely influential group. Starting in '80, they had members of a- in Agent Orange, Social D, Di, and were on Frontier Records. In the beginning, they were on Somebody's Got Their Head. Somebody's gonna get their head kicked in. Pardon me. And uh, you were an ama- you are amazing at tracing the ways bands are connected. Don't forget about the Agnew Bros, Tony, mm-hmm. Casey, and Soto. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and yeah, basically says thanks, and that's from Dave. There you go. I would I would put the adolescents in the same category as that I put the Misfits as almost like a perfect punk band. Yeah. Like some of those songs, you know, are just ridiculous. Like yeah. that first record is one of the yeah, it's funny how it's never really come up. Cause I would maybe put that like up there with the Zero Boys LP yeah. as like definitive eighty eighties rec- records. Yeah, I would agree. I think that Compi brings up, which I'm trying to look up right now. Um, yeah, it's funny. They're they're a group I never think of. Uh, like they don't come first to my mind when like thinking of that era of punk, for whatever bizarre reason. But um, definitely amazing group. And that song on that Comp, Wrecking Crew. Uh, is absolutely incredible and uh, hugely informative to my early years. Still love it. Still think it's a uh, a total rager. So yeah, I like. Yeah. I think they are. Yeah, like one of the best bands of all time. Um, we did get to play with them in the Basque Country um, one night, and it was incredible. They were phenomenal and put on a great show. A very interesting show around it but they were amazing and it was really cool to get to hang out with them and talk and yeah like very connected band still you know 
members are still around, still active and stuff too, which is awesome. And they, uh, I think they obviously still play out, right? I don't know. I don't know if they're still active, but I just thought it was a neat, uh, message here. And it's bizarre that we haven't talked about them more. Yeah, it is really bizarre, but like, you know, like this show is totally just sounding off about stuff that other people bring up though. Dave Martin will insist that we have a claw anti clawhammer bias because clawhammers never come up either. But with the adolescents, <laughs> I assure you there is no bias. Um, no, this, absolutely not. No, this was, uh, yeah, an oversight because they are, as Chris and I are both kind of, you know, agreeing one of the best of all time. For sure. And that first record looks amazing. You can't forget that aesthetic. Like yeah. I said, Wrecking Crew is in my head. Like if I were thinking of like, it's very, very hard for me to do like a top 10, you know, or even top 20, like punk hardcore songs. But like, I'm not lying. Like Wrecking Crew, if not now, certainly at a point in my life would have been top five. Like I think that sounds incredible. So yeah, definitely a hugely influential band to me early on. But one I don't think about, at the forefront often enough. I kind of take for granted, I guess. But, uh, yeah. I think, I think they get taken for granted in my mind as well. You know, like it's a band that, you know, going through this track listing of that first album, it's like, God damn it. I, I want to listen to this tomorrow. <laughs> it is very good. It's so good. Very, yeah. And just like, once again, like, like the zero boys, like the misfits, like, like these bands that just felt like they were on a different level. Like, you know, Obviously, Black Flag's incredible, but, you know, like, I think this is uh, one of the strongest debuts any band ever made. Well, yeah, and especially for that year, like, for 81 for this record to come out. I realize it's, like, prime era for this, whatever, American hardcore, if you will. But it's still pretty, when you think of, to get this record out and it be this concise in that year... And, and sort of fully formulated. I don't know. I really like this LP. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Which, same. of course, Wrecking Crew is also on. Anyway, title track, I Hate Children, also fantastic. Damien does not agree. But anyway. And nor do they, Chris. They've had kids, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's, uh, I guess, move on to the next uh, uh, email. Well, that's it. We're we're done for the for the bag this week. Oh, we're done with the bag. Okay, we've emptied it. That's great because now we get to dive in to one of the most casual episodes ever of Turn Out of Punk, uh, the Melvins kind of episode. Originally, it was supposed to be, as I mentioned, everyone from the Melvins, including Brian, who of course is on the Melvins crew, um, but you know, clearer heads kind of prevailed coincidentally because people were away and then so it ended up just being this kind of conversation mainly between brian and myself and then buzz brian and myself which is great because i think it was very natural yeah i think i think it turned out better i think when you have the way your show is formatted i believe that i'm not sure it's 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 suited as best for like a complete band not to say it can't work but i just don't think it's you know, when you get one or two people and it's sort of more, you know, natural as far as conversationally speaking is concerned. Yeah, I think so as well. Like you, you kind of get to see, I don't know, like another side of a person, you know, and this is, this is what back straight, back, like a backstage kind of conversation feels like to me, you know, when I'm punishing someone backstage that I want to meet. <laughs> so the, you're hearing what a real Damien with the Melvins conversation would be like. Um, yes, agreed. And I think the only other um, 
that I'm aware of full band conversation that you've had on this show is uh, what the only black flag, right? The, the, the flag, band? the flag and the Melvins one. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. There we go. And we all know what a clusterfuck the flag one is. <laughs> it's great in its own way, but yes, not, not the most, uh, concise of episodes, if you will. Well, I think Buzz is also one of my favorite people to interview. Brian, not to take away from Brian, because we're mainly going to be talking about Brian in this episode, I think, because we never did a Brian Walsby footnotes before. And there's, Mm. my fucking God, does this guy connect a lot of dots in the punk world? Yep. Um, But, you know, Buzz is one of my favorite people to interview because he is like whip smart, like (laughs) like intimidatingly smart, Um, Mm -hmm. but and also very opinionated. And it's not oh, yeah. always like I share my share his opinions um, on stuff. So he's a great person to talk to because he's a great person to have a debate with because he will force you to think. Yep, I agree. Um, at every turn. Um, but anyway, Chris, uh, did we do a Melvin's one? I don't remember. I know uh, I'm trying to look up the episode lists now. I don't remember when you did them. I feel like we may have, but I don't remember I was just when wondering. the hell that was. I'm trying to look up now. I don't think we did. I think it's like predates footnotes. Yeah, no, you're right. I think I'm looking here. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Predates is 36. Wow. Yeah. Footnotes for listeners who are very nerdy. <laughs> uh, begins at episode 56. So any interviews pre-56 did not have this uh, adjacent or whatever additional conversation. Um, and yeah, it seems like they fell before that, which seems crazy to me. But yeah, they were episode 36. Hmm. Which is anyway. – yeah, it's weird. Also, it's weird how I like used to label episodes back then. Like the Brian episode is labeled super weird. Like I have 10-foot pole there. <laughs> do you pool? i don't <laughs> what the fuck was i doing early on anyway anyway uh but yeah so we didn't ever got to discuss the melvins but the melvins have come up here on the show quite a bit over the years yeah oh yeah we can we can get into it again there's enough to talk about there <laughs> there's enough to talk about there's definitely enough yeah. to talk about uh wh- when was the first time you saw them I think I brought up on the show, so listeners might be a little annoyed with this. I've only seen them once. Uh, it was 2000, I'm pretty sure. It was on that, like... Oh, yeah, we talked about this. We did Bootlicker and the the, tr- the trilogy record. Yeah, uh, the trilogy album. Whatever it is. Bootlicker, Maggot, and Crybaby. It was on that. So, yeah, 2000 was the when the last one came out. They did a two... They did, like, a, um, an intermission. So they did the first set, and it was kind of, like, really, you know, as at the time, like, more poppier stuff. So things that were on stuff like Stag, um, even some stuff off Houdini that isn't like sort of the heavier end, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the quirkier. And then I think even stuff off Honky that is a bit more quirky. And then the second set was this incredible like noisy, doomy, all the kind of like what you expect of Melvin's by reputation. And it was more like, you know, all that jazz. Yeah. The audience for this show was not at all what I would have expected. No? What was it like? I, in 2018, I have no idea what I, any audience for anything is anymore. I'm always well, amazed. It was sold out, right? Like, they, they normally can pack. Like, they sold the Danforth Music Hall, which is quite a large venue in Toronto. Like yeah. They, they, can, they can sell out all sorts of venues in Toronto. So this is one of the smaller ones uh, for yeah. them here. Yeah. Uh, um, 
and it was it was packed, but with like young, hip people. <laughs> I d- I think the Melvins are a group though that have a very lasting audience. Like yeah. I, I don't know, like I don't think they ever go out of vogue. If that makes any sense, not that I view the world that way, but you know how there's groups that we are, you know, we're aware of that, you know, now their audiences are completely different in a, in a way that's sort of not what you're discussing. I would like say the entire first two rows were under 30. Yeah. And that's impressive. Like for, for an older band in 2018 yeah. to be able to do that, that is yeah, yeah. shockingly impressive. I like hearing that though, because I think this is one of the groups that should be endlessly appreciated across generations. I don't think there should be any divide. I think it should be they're a consistent performing group that, you know, if they're if they're gonna play until they're you know, in their seventies or eighties still, then I'm I'm down. I I'll go watch them. Hey, yeah, well and I will also say like there are a few bands that you can see that that pour out as much on stage. Like every yeah. single member. You could watch you could watch all four because this is the lineup they did with, um, with, uh, with like the the two bass players, the drums, and and vocals. So this is like the four piece lineup. The Melvins had done a, a various lineups over the years, but this is the, yeah. the with Pincus and Steve McDonald, dual bass attack, and you could watch any member and they're entertaining at any given time. Well, I haven't seen them in a while, but yeah. I would. It's crazy that I haven't seen them in 18 years. Now that I think about that, that's insane. But uh, <laughs> they were incredible. I like their records. I always think the records are good. I have no. Uh, like they always deliver. Always deliver. Uh, they are also the, as you discuss in the episode, like the collector's nightmare, because they just put out a lot of things, <laughs> and ones that are very hard to get, and uh, yeah. That's the uh, similar to to your group. Well, Which, by the way, group, was this our, the group? You, we're very did different. You model I think. This? No, well, we modeled it after. Yeah, they're definitely like they're definitely like you know for both Mike and myself, kind of the the alpha and omega of a, a band. Like what what would be like a successful career like defined in terms of another band? It would be the Melvins. Yeah, I agree. Um, but- and yeah, like a a phenomenal band and a, a and a band that like you know never compromised. No, I think that's a very important thing to say because even in the interview, there's a portion where the the SST talk comes up and the talk of did you ever get approached and sort of when they would have went on SST. At least they allude to being around the time when they went on. I guess it would be Atlantic, which he's speaking of uh, for like Houdini and. Stoner Witch and all that. Um, but yeah, what labels do you think it was that he was talking about when they, they turned down? Do you think it was just SST? Because I think that would have been – SST would have been kind of almost over by 93, right? No, I agree. But it just – it came up on the back of that. So that's why I assumed it was who he's talking about. But I was wondering um, like – Because he also mentions how he – you know, or whatever. They're keeping the, the records on Boner in print and he doesn't – they haven't moved them. And yeah. So um, – I don't know. I don't know who else in those years would have been calling. Maybe Sub Pop? Maybe. Matador, Sub Pop. Like, it's yeah, weird. Like, the elephant in the room, which I always forget to ask about, is the fact that they don't have a single Sub Pop release. They do now. I just looked it up. They do? Cause I, yeah, because I, I, I was just about to, to talk about this because 
The um, there is one, although sorry, it's technically uh, it's from 2016, and it's Mike and the Melvins, which I don't know if it's Mike Patton and the Melvins. I don't know who the like what the um, I'll just look it up right now, see if I can find credits. It is no, I don't know who it is. Bass vocals, anyway. Um, yeah, so there is a release from 2016. But That's I don't another know Discogs. It, what is it? An LP? Yeah, it's an LP from 2016. Three Men and a Baby, it's called. And it came out on Sub Pop everywhere, basically. That's but, crazy. But you are you are not wrong though in saying what you're about to say there, which is it is bizarre looking at their um discography. And I didn't look through the singles yet, like with the no, fine, no single. fine tooth comb. But the uh you're right, like where the LPs fall, and you look in that era of like Especially from, well, even Bullhead, Bullhead and Ozma even. It's kind of bizarre that those didn't go on Sub Pop. And even, okay, when that, you know, goes, they go to a major briefly and then they're on Amphetamine Reptile and then, you know, sort of the Ipecac, which for people who don't know is the singer Faith No More's label, uh, Mike Patton's label in the late 90s, which made sense. He was putting on a lot of strange stuff, and the Phantomas started then, which features Buzz. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, you're right. It is v- very weird in any of those years that they didn't have a sub-pop record come out then. Well, it's also because, like, that that Mike record, that's that's Mike from Godhead Silo that they did that oh, okay. record, that record with. And that would make sense for the sub-pop connection, right? Because they were, like, a sub-pop band. Yes, great um, band too, by the way. Go on. Yeah, really cool band. But once again, it's weird. Like, I wonder if there is like, not a beef or anything, but just like some sort of, you know, like reason that there was never any sort of, you know, until two years ago when, you know, it's almost like an afterthought. Like, oh, yeah, I guess Sub Pop. Well, it's strange because if my understanding is correct, was Kurt Cobain's involvement with them – like wait, like was he not doing stuff with them still while Nirvana was active, or was this before? Oh yeah, like he was. Well, I don't think he was doing stuff with them. Like they moved I mean, to like, L- they moved like to L.A. Right? Bleach. Yeah, but I think Bleach they were still up Pacific North. Or you mean Melvin's did? Yeah, sorry, Melvin's did right. And so uh, yeah, like I think, uh, but yeah, Melvin's did that tour with Nirvana just before like, the last Nirvana in utero tour. Right? Was the Melvin's? I believe, but I'm just thinking like. You even think like Bleach comes out on Sub Pop, the Melvins are active. They're sort of whatever, from what I understand, like cohorts. Like it's very strange that that didn't ever. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's something there where we're we're or nothing at all, and we're just pontificating. But yeah, it is bizarre to me. Yeah, like, and I think also with like Nirvana, I think the relationship was almost like teacher student. Absolutely, but I still think it's like, you know, imagine you have a group or whatever and I'm, the, you know, the roadie dude or whatever and then, you know, your your group signs to like this cool label, like Boner, and then I, I luck out and get on the whatever, this other label and then eventually get the major thing going. But it just seems weird that there was no – what I'm trying to essentially get at here is it's bizarre that sort of what I feel are like the cornerstone of the, like when the Melvins broke as far as the Melvins breaking, quote unquote. That none of that came out on sub pop. Yeah, no, no. Like very s- bizarre that you no, know, neither Ozma, Bullhead, Bullhead, pardon me, or even Houdini. I think if if everything was right in the world, Houdini would have come out on sub pop. In hindsight, but you know what can you do? I bet you they got paid out though for that. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I believe 
Kurt Cobain produced that record and it was some kind of a weird uh, whatever. Like that's kind of why it happened, I believe. I'm not talking out of school here, but because uh, I'm trying to look. I think he has a production credit on that. Yeah, and I think the story is on. I know he's on a track, but I think he has a production credit. I think that's a story where he's just like sitting. He didn't actually produce it that much or something. No, I think it was like, it was like from what I understand, and this is to take no credit away from Melvin's from being a great group. And in my opinion, this being their greatest record, but uh, yeah, like it was just more, it seemed like a big up basically. Like uh, at the time the fortune went that way. So he, this was like saying, Hey, let's try and get you paid basically. Yeah, like I, I think, but I think they were like probably signed just on the fact that like here's the band that you know this guy would not shut up about. Yeah, you know more than sure. more than like because it, it wasn't like Nirvana was on Atlantic. No, but it's one. Of, yeah, it was, uh, and he's on the record. Yeah, he's so on the record. The, the yeah. appearance would sell stuff too, I'm sure. But they did, and that's not why they, I bought it. But I definitely remember that being a, a you know of note at the time because they did like three records on Atlantic in the end. They did. Yep. Which is uh, an impressive mm-hmm. run for a band from the 90s to have on a major. Well, and then on, I believe it's the Honky album, which came out on Amphetamine Reptile, I believe, I don't remember which track on it, but there's a like a, a voicemail, like weird, it's basically your your classic, like, it seems like major label trolling. This record came out, for, for listeners unfamiliar, in 97 on Amphetamine Reptile, called Honky. And there's one of these songs, I can't remember which it is. Um, it's basically like, uh, you know, more or less like an experimental song that has these snippets of what seems like A&Rs from major labels. I'm assuming perhaps one of their previous major labels or labels in general. And it's basically them rejecting like the Melvin. I don't know if it's this record or material from what became this record, but yeah, it's it's quite funny. Um so yeah, I don't know if that went entirely well. Is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> I think in the end, but like still, like to get three records on, and they weren't dropped. You know, no, they definitely stayed around, and and then it's like, you know, for a band like they've had so many acts. You know, it's like when you go through this discography, it's it's so daunting how many kind of periods they had that they kind of rode out and came through the other side yeah. of, and yeah, those and, those. Records also of note, like I realize, like those earlier ones, especially like the first two, are very much of note for crazy Melvin's heads. But is it, I think it's important to note that those major records, which now, bizarrely enough, I think have all been reissued by Third Man uh, on vinyl at least, um, those were all really, really great records. Like they're really, um, if you only had those three as like a test of like, okay, what is this group like? You you wouldn't be steered wrong. They're they're quite strong, and I think Houdini is still their best record, um, with no shade to any of their other albums. Ah, uh, it's hard to say. Like, I wonder what would be my favorite. Did it, Third Man reissued him recently? I thought so. Well, two thousand sixteen, Third Man did the reissues, but they might mm-hmm. be out of print again because I think those Third Mans were all limited anyway. Well, maybe I don't know, but the um, they definitely reissued them. Yeah, no, I, think, I don't know if I know it was Houdini for sure. I don't, I don't know if they did Stoner Witch. They did Stoner Witch as well. They did the, all the Atlantic records, but I might be mistaken. Okay, I thought that was the whole angle on that. I just don't know, but and it would kind of make sense because I think Third Man has connections in that manner. I, if I'm not again talking out of school, but um, it's see, yeah, they did. So 
Yeah, I hope they're not limited because I just was lazy and didn't buy them, but I will eventually. Because yeah. yeah. those to note as well, I don't think anyway, didn't come out on vinyl, which was the whole angle on that. No, they did come out on vinyl. Oh, Stoner they did. Witch, Amphetamine Sto- Rep did too. Okay, never mind. Yeah, and Federal Reptile did, but uh, also Stoner, which came out back in the day. Yeah. Oh, I remember that one. I thought Houdini didn't, but it did. I was oh, wrong. yeah. Anyway. And the original vinyl goes for like a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Yep. The Houdini Gatefold, $227 on the COGS, Canadian. Yeah, worth it, though. Yeah, definitely worth it. I. It's funny. Like, I have a terrible – uh collection when it comes to L- Melvin's LPs. I got the 7-inch <laughs> collection, though, down pretty good. Well, it's funny you do it. it that came up in the interview where you kind of mentioned that, and then even you you start off the interview with that disclaimer that your collection isn't great, which for Damien to say that is funny to me because most stuff you have is pretty epic. But, um, but yeah, for me, I don't have – I have maybe one of these LPs. I think the only one I have, weirdly enough, is Honky. But I have a great Melvin CD collection, so keep that <laughs> <up>. <laughs> only as as Buzz would have wanted it. I'm saying from now on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've got I've got the illest uh, streaming service collection of the Melvins you've ever heard. <laughs> um, yeah, somehow that carries more weight these days. Yeah, yeah, but they've got like so many cool little singles too, like. You know, yep. came up with the interview that slap a ham little five inch. Uh, yep. They did a split with Nirvana back then too. Yeah, I think we've discussed that in the show previously. I thought, but yeah, I don't know. Have we discussed this? I thought it came up. Oh, maybe it did. Right. Maybe it did one time. But there's a lot of I don't know. They just have a lot of cool releases. I I think um, I like that they did like the mimic this the um, the Kiss uh, solo records. That was a clever idea, I think. Um, I don't know. I just—they're epic. I don't, I don't know. I—they're I, just a group that, to me, is timeless. That you know, if if I don't know anybody that, I'm sure they exist, but I don't know anybody that like does not like the Melvins in some capacity. Yeah, yeah. My God, this Melvins Nirvana split single goes for a fucking shit ton of money. Oh, I can imagine. I'm trying to find. They have. Because weirdly enough, there's a comp uh, CD of those uh, collection of singles. I'm just trying to find it right now. It's the ones that have like the the mock like death's head on the cover, but it's the collection of those uh, on one CD. I'm just trying to find the name of it. Um, it is called Singles One to Twelve. Clever cover. Uh, title rather where they cover Lexicon Devil and things like this on those singles but um, there's one song where it's a total Oasis diss and I'm trying to remember what the actual title of that song is called um, hmm anyway I don't remember I'm, maybe I there's a listener that, that will it's crazy like it's it's a huge diss and uh it's, I'm assuming it was obviously a B-side to one of these singles originally, but it's it never gets talked about. <laughs> it's it's like and it's like funny to the point where they're like make like they're they're someone is doing a fake like British English British accent, and like it's yeah it's essentially taking a huge shot at uh, at that sort of that whole world. But I can't remember what song is, but it's on this um, Melvin singles one to twelve came out in ninety seven. 
and they all came out originally as like 12 singles, I guess, that are all collected on this. So uh, hopefully I'll, I'll uh, dig this up and try to find out. Or if a listener wants to write in, turn out a punk footnotes at gmail.com. There you go. Yeah, there's um, uh, just going, are you on the Melvin's discography on Discogs? Oh, yeah. It's long. Uh, go to uh, go to the singles and look at that oven seven inch that comes with the paper dolls. Like oven the, seven inch. It's the it's the second seven inch, and there's paper dolls that it comes with. Oven. I'm not, oh, it's not. I keep thinking I'm at the beginning of it. It's like nope. Yeah, it came out on Leopard Gecko in '89. Yeah, limited to uh, 200 copies. Oh yeah, and there is. <laughs> Does it have a photo of the dolls? Yeah. I don't see it in this one I'm looking at. But if you click on more images for the first listing. <laughs> that's hilarious. But also n- notice uh, that's the lineup that featured Lori Black, Shirley Temple's daughter, who played in the Melvins for... Yeah, whose a- name, I believe, in the Melvins was Lorax, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. And also Clown yeah. Alley, of course, as well. Yeah, they don't. I was. I thought it was uh, bizarre that that didn't come up. Well, it's about former members. Not not that the whole connection, but just there was no mention of of her involvement. No, I know. And uh, like maybe if I sat down with Buzz, just talking to him, but it's always like a weird. It's always a weird thing to bring up ex members. I find too. Um, so that's why I was trying to keep more to the people that just collaborated with at different points. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she's uh certainly like played on. The Melvins for an amazing period from basically that oven seven inch Ozma right up She's until on Houdini. Houdini, yeah. Yeah. And then uh what's this pick your battles? <laughs> oh, it's a Brian Walsby uh it came with one of the Manchilds. Um nice. let's let I guess we should transition now into Brian Walsby. Sure, yeah. Um because this Brian Walsby, um Click on his credit, if you will. Yeah, I got him up. Yep. Uh, look at this endless humiliation is endless comp, which I think he might have put together. It features cover art by him, and it's also got a lot of spoken word by him, and features uh, a couple bands that you know he has involvement with. Um, I wonder. I got to ask when he put I'm this not, out. I'm not seeing it come up here. You aren't. Um, if you click on Brian Walsby. It's yeah, under I got them. Compilations, appearances. Oh, I'm under credits. Okay. Comps. Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Got it now. Look at the lineup for this comp. Yep. It's ridiculous. Came out in 87 on Embryo and No Core. The first release by both. I love this genre hip hop, rock, non music. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. He has a solo song on here. He's, it's spoken word. He's got two. Nice. Honor Roll, Melvin's, Solo. Oh, yeah, it does have two on here. Wow. COC. <laughs> this is wild. Yeah. And it's actually, it's uh, it's only been sold once, it looks like. And it's like 80 bucks minimum. It's, it's real. I would love to get this comp. There, there's a lot of weird stuff on this. Like, click on that band. This is why I think Brian was involved, too, because, like, there's a lot of California stuff on it. Mm. What band were you saying though to click on? Fatal Error. Oh, Fatal Error. 
the third fatal error for those following along the show. Yes. Um, this is the yeah, one that's pretty pulley. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and they're back. It says 2017 lineup, so they're back. Yeah. Um, wow. I'm trying to find here. There's a limited CD from 83. Yeah, I was CD? trying to figure that out, too. Like, CDs didn't even exist in 83, right? Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out. That's got to be an error. Maybe it came out in 93 of 83 material, or like whatever. Yeah, probably something like that. But, uh, yeah, it looks pretty self-done, too. I'm not sure that looks like an 83. <laughs> the cover art no. definitely looks like when they came out in like the 2000s. It looks like the Black Flag um, record they came out a couple years ago. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'm not sure about the the correct <laughs> archiving of that release, but... Um, yeah, I don't know anything about this group, but that's wild. So it's pre-pulley. I didn't know these guys were in groups in like, well, assuming 83 is correct, which I, I question. Um, so pre, I wonder what year this was then. Everything seems like the late 2000s. Like yeah, it's 87. So- I think this band, uh, this band was in 87, the first kind of run, mid-80s. Gotcha. Features Tony Palermo on drums who I believe is currently the drummer of uh, Papa Roach. Yeah, that seems to be the credits on here, yep. As well, and he was also in 10-foot pole. Um, and? Was he in Scared Straight? Well, no, but, well, I don't know, maybe. I don't see it here, but the, uh, and we went in deep on this. Unwritten <laughs> Law. There you go, buddy. <laughs> Unwritten Law. Also, this band officially represented... Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, also this band OYM from California as well. On that comp, you mean, yep. Open Your Mind um, also features a lot of members that would go on to be in Pulley. So clearly that's the connection you believe that is from him. I think so. I think that's like the connection between the California bands and then the South Carolina stuff. Makes sense. I I wonder what these versions of the COC songs are from. I don't know. Came out in 87, so they're probably relatively, like, maybe they're just off the record, like, pre the record coming out or something. Yeah. And also Subculture, Killer Band, that I heard a Scream LP is well worth tracking down on the incredible Fart Blossom Records, uh, (laughs) and a label that is very significant on this show. A lot of cool bands. That's a label where you have Man is the Bastard and Chain of Strength. And, <laughs> and double negative and Foo Fighters and all those things kind of co-mingling. The, uh, I agree. But one thing back to this comp really quick, I just noticed here, the last song on it as well is credited as Rob and Brian. It's called Pretentious Babble. Yeah. And like a bunch of exclamation. So it, that's an interesting. <laughs> I want to hear those <laughs> pretty badly. I know. Same here. I want to, uh, I got to get a copy of this tape. Yeah, you should ask him about it. I should. Um, But also, now that we're on the Brian Walsby uh, thing, let's go do a deep dive on the Brian Walsby discography because this isn't the only treasure I found on this thing. (laughs) Okay, what what did you unearth now? (laughs) Well, like, go to his art, his visuals. Yeah. Dude, he did art for... uh, that expose's seven inch, and he did art for the big city one big crowd comp. 
Well, I'm looking here. There was already one that jumped out. Like, what is the artwork he did for the crew? Um, it's uh, a comic. The seven seconds, the crew, that is. It's, a, it's a comic on the inside of the cover. Okay, because I'm like, did he didn't shoot the cover, did he? Like, that's wild. No, he did a cover the, what's the record? He did, uh, Walk Together, Rock Together. Oh, he did that cover? Yeah. Okay, no, that makes sense. Yeah, it's his style. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't think of that. But um, that's sick, though. Those are both cool um, cool credits. That Psycho cover I love, too. I didn't know this was him. Yeah, I totally didn't know the Psycho cover was him till today, which now when I look at it, I'm like, how did I not know this? But Yeah, that's a cool record. Also, he did a Young Pioneers 10-inch. Rec- <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that, yeah, in Vermiform. That's a, weirdly enough, we've never talked about Vermiform on this show, I don't think. I don't know how, but it's never come yeah, up. Yeah, it's never come up either. That, yeah, that's true, actually. What a Which, weird label. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to digress from Brian no, here, but yeah, no. just a point of mention. We'll get to um, it one day. What was the – sorry, you were you talked about something and I started talking about this other stuff and I forgot what you were No, saying. I was just saying like he did the uh, Big City Comp. Big City's One Big Crowd, which is the comp put out by the label Big City from New York. Uh, famous yeah. because I think it's the first Sheer Terror recordings. Also has well, also has the Psychos on it. Also has um, Please Youth. It's got like a lot of like kind of bands that would go on to become, you know, other other bands or or at least members would go on to become other bands and stuff. That and Commandos this, are on it too. And this cover is is also iconic to me. The the whatever like the. Skyline, Big City, I don't know. This is one of the most appealing like looking records of this era for me. Um, but yeah, this is a hell of a comp. What was the other one? There's the Big City and then Big City Ain't Pretty or whatever. Is that the same? I think it's the yeah, same. Yeah, it's all, it's all Big City records that put it all out. I'm trying to yeah. see where Brian, what Brian Walsby did because I don't know if he did the cover. Okay. Oh, Brian Walsby, front cover. You're right. Booklet, no, booklet uh, front cover. Yeah, so he's like... I I don't know, man. Like the thing that's wild to me, thinking of some of these credits he has, like you know, people know of the names of some of the other, you know, either photographers or you know, other notable visual artists associated with punk. And perhaps maybe I'm 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 underestimating how much people know about Brian, but I didn't know a lot about Brian before. Actually, I think I believe it was even when you started to become pals with him, mm-hmm. uh, which was around the double negative era, and. Again, I have I to my knowledge, I don't think I've ever met him, but I remember in that in those years you and, and maybe a couple other people meeting him and saying how he was a good guy and this, that and the other. And I think it was around that time he was also doing a, I think he maybe did throughout the run, but he definitely did, I believe, a lot of the illustrations in that uh the chunklet collection book. Yeah, right? he did or, definitely uh, that's I where I think called. I became first really familiar with yeah him as an did. artist. The overrated book or whatever it's called, which is excellent for those who have not read, let alone Chunklet. Look that up. Incredible. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I wasn't aware of him too much as like a, you know, as somebody, you know, known, if you will, in this in this world. So when I look at this now, what I'm trying to, I guess, establish here is I think he he's highly underrated as far as a visual artist and, and some of the things he's done. Mm-hmm. Certainly like. You know, the things we just pointed out are pretty insane. Like that seven seconds cover is insane. That psycho cover, even that scared straight is so sick too. Such a great looking record. Um But yeah, like he has a very yeah, his style is is as to me as iconic as something like Pusshead or whatever. So that's uh I don't know. I'm just always 
amazed when I unearthed these things. Did he do the cover of this Melvin's record too? Yeah. Wow. Like these are records I've seen for so long and I've never thought like, yeah, anyway. No, it's also crazy. Like, you know, you go through him as a drummer, man. He was in, like, I always forget he was in Polvo too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, he played in like Shiny Beast, another band that we never, never seems to come up. Uh, finally tracked out a copy of that Patty Duke Syndrome seven inch, which was Ryan Adams yep. thing. Um, also, you know, played in Wax, which is pretty super chunk. Played in like it's just he's this guy that you know it's just it tells the story of American music. Yeah, he connects all worlds. All very worlds. much. Yeah, man, he played in the pre Red Fang band too. Willard. <laughs> it's super funny, like. Because again, even the Polvo thing, or I know of the Patty Duke one, and I know of the Wax from you, but I never would have known that connection at all. So it's funny to me that there's like, you know, he connects all those dots mm-hmm. and, and has like a what a northern NorCal <laughs> connection to or Oxnard or whatever it is. Um, like it's insane. Yeah, I don't. For me, he's like. You've you've obviously had him on the show before, so I'm a bit familiar with him based on that, and of course this recent interview. But I just yeah, I I always love people like this that are involved that have these huge, you know, connections that just don't seem to get, I don't know, the spotlight like some other people do. And so I'm always appreciative of people like this more so. Yeah, I, I find them much more. I don't know if it's just because now everything is unearthed. You can get you know, interviews, you know, or, or a lot of things like that from, from the notable people that everyone has heard, you know, 20 interviews of, or have been in the spotlight for a long time. But people like Brian don't seem to be the ones that are even searching for it, which actually I think is much more cool personally, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I'm babbling. Go on. I would say you, you gotta go to click on the I'm buck naked tape. Under his visual credits for a sec. <laughs> well, what is the, um, I'm, is it, that's not, uh, I remember at one time there was a ministry side projects thing or that's what he called himself in Revolting Cox. It's uh, not related to that, is it? I don't think so, but it could be. But look at the lineup on this comp. Talk about a comp that l- links all worlds. <laughs> bad taste, comp- bad bad compilation tapes is what's under yeah. number ten. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to find any here. Oh boy, yeah, there's some uh, there's some ones here. So this comp <laughs> tape has uh, the very very poorly named and lyrically themed uh, White Pride. <laughs> yeah, which does have some connections to some other bands, and one day maybe. We'll find a way to do an interesting conversation about that band, but tonight's not the night to tackle that one. Um, <laughs> no. It also has, features the Accelerators, recently reissued by our good friend Dave Martin yeah. at his manufacturer recordings uh, job, um, but great, also great originally on too, Mother yeah. Records. Yep. I and, uh, Yeah, they released the, whatever, the 84 single or whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. And then also... Features a um, detention, Psycho, the aforementioned Psycho. Yep. But that band that we cannot pronounce, that is Tom from Turbo's pre-Turbo band. 
the ac cut whatever the hell. Yep. Acut. <laughs> I'm just gonna spell it. A Q A K U T T. Next word. I N N L E G G E L S E. For anyone interested. But uh, yeah, it does feature that, and also raw power. <laughs> and also raw power. <laughs> Which is just to throw another curveball out there. Why not? What a weird comp. Yeah, so I feel like if you I. I don't know how you track these things down so easily, these kind of things, but well, its highest uh, cost on here is 30, so it's reasonable, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Doesn't you got to get it, so. right? Like, it's easy to find, mm -hmm. you know, like you got to have someone that's actually selling it. Yeah. Um, but man, I do want it. So it says some copies come with a 12-page stapled booklet with info about the bands. Yeah, I want it. Chris, I want <laughs> it. Okay. There's also an alternate cover version, by the way. Jeez. Which is significantly more. It never it's 12, ends. It's, it's $12 as an average. But yeah. I guess they've only <laughs> sold, like, that must be only, like, one of these has ever sold. True, yeah. Or two of these, because, like, there can't be... Oh, this is a reissue with the alternate cover. Yeah, it looks like. Oh, it's PCT tapes. That uh, one is, yeah. It was the first version not on PCT. Oh no, tape? it is. Sorry, yeah, it is. Yeah, as well. So it's a PCT oh. tape, which is of course the uh, the label, which you know is really responsible for the proliferation of a lot of the international hardcore. It was like a tape label run by a guy who, at one point, Chris, I got a lot of really good records off of. Really? He was selling his records in lots on Discogs. But like it would be like Brazilian hardcore lot and then it would be like Japanese lot and stuff. And so I got like a bunch of these lots with some killer stuff in them. Nice. Um, but also uh, I would love to talk about the Davidians. Yeah. So I'm glad that came up. I l always love the name of this band. Mm -hmm. uh, admittedly never really got into them. But I do remember having a passing understanding that he was in it. But. Not exactly sure, but it's funny that so, so oh, pardon me, sorry state and deranged throughout the records. I kind of remember them being around, but I never paid a great amount of attention to it. But I was like their like the look of them and, and whatever the whole vibe, but yeah, not as familiar. I definitely knew them in double negative, but do you have any of these? Yeah, well, it's Justin who was also in uh, uh, I, I have both these singles, they're fantastic. It also features Justin who was in, I guess, Willard, I didn't know that, but it was also in double negative with okay. Brian as well. Um, and it like, they're, they're fucking awesome. These singles. I got to track them down then. I like that. The one that's called night terrors too. Very cool vibe. Yeah. And, oh, and Cameron, I didn't realize, uh, it also features, uh, Cameron, uh, Craig from who was also in double negative as well. Okay. So it's more or less, yeah. The ashes of double negative seemingly. Yeah. I really recommend picking this up to, Anyone, if you ever see these singles, they're like it's it's definitely like that kind of uh, you know, like that harkening back to like '90s noisy hardcore, '80s kind of like Dicroitsony hardcore, yeah. but just like Brian's a fucking killer drummer, yeah, and the vocals are ri ripping, the guitars are ripping, like yeah, pick these singles up if you get a chance. It's just I think the the. There's a lot of like contemporary stuff like this that I think gets like passed over, and these records seem to be fairly 
fairly cheap. So yeah, for those looking for kind of new, new underrated rippers, uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta check them out. I haven't, uh, I haven't heard these, but even They're double negative, I think got, you know, they got noticed for a time, but I feel like a lot of people don't give a lot of the records a lot of attention. Yeah, that first double negative record I think might be one of the best LPs of the era. It's great. Wonderful and frightening world of double negative. It looks like a Swans LP and it's fantastic. Yeah. And then the next LP is no slouch either. They never got bad. Like they were like no. yeah. they were like a ripping band. <clears throat> yep. Absolutely. Um Brian uh also, you know, like once again, like to, you know, kind of bring it all back is someone who you can go and see at these shows and you can get him to drew to draw art for you as part of the show. And, uh, yeah, like that to me is also what makes this like the Melvins such a cool band is that they've like kind of incorporated Brian and Brian's art into the touring experience, you know? Nice. So that's like a known thing. Yeah. Like you go to, go to the Melvin show, Brian sells merch and he has like art for sale for like super cheap, like an original piece of art that he's drawn. Nice. A lot of times it's like reflecting on stuff that's happening. A lot of it's parodies of Melvin stuff. And yeah, like it's, it's one of those, you know, how many, you know, affordable pieces of art are out there now, especially by like an illustrator of this note. Like you can't, like we talked about in the episode, you can't get a petty bond piece for, for like 30 bucks. <laughs> True. We should shout out while we're on it. He has Brian for things of his, you know, of work and what have you. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're, uh, and that's b r i a n w a l s b y dot net. And pick up his manchild books too. Um, I yeah. think some of them are still available online. Um, also, definitely from the shows when you go and see the Melvins, because he will have them there if they're available. Yep, and they look great. And there's cool like CDs that come with them too. Like the one of them had that a couple Melvins. A couple of them have Melvin CDs that came with them. And then one of them came with uh, the, I, I guess the Patty uh, Hearst syndrome uh, CD discography. I guess I'm trying to find it. Oh, now. okay, cool. I'm trying to find it now, but I think it's a bootleg too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't want to throw. Anyway, uh, but <laughs> we can get into that another time. <laughs> You mean the Patty Duke Patty syndrome? Duke syndrome oh, sorry, said, Patty Duke syndrome. Patty Hurst. I think there was a Patty Hurst band at one point, but anyway, Patty Duke syndrome. Uh, there's a CD discography thing that came with one of the books, and oh, it's not even listed on the Cogs. Well, it seems to be the third up, the third book, because it mentions that in the uh, write up. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, oh no, maybe not. Sorry, it's just talking about his his credits. Anyway, go on. Um, no, that's it. That's it. Um, pick up uh, all that Brian Walsby stuff when you get a chance. Uh, Chris, is there anything else we should get to tonight? No, I think I'm good myself, but I don't know what else uh, you wanted to overturn here. FOD. We could talk more about FOD. <laughs> I love that that came up. As soon as that came up, I was very, very pleased. Yeah. Uh, it is a great record. It's a terrible looking record. But terrible looking record. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was particularly funny that he mentioned it, being that he is a visual guy. It would be and, great uh, if he did the art for it instead. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to petition that right now that the public submit that <laughs> Brian Walsby <laughs> officially redo. And, uh, you know, so anyone who has the record can like, you know, go to Melvin shows and, and he'll give you, you can buy, you know, for whatever nominal fee, 
his uh, new cover for the record to replace your old one. He also did one of my favorite things ever, which was commissioned by uh, this kind of uh, fucked up archivist guy um, named Giles in England. But he got Brian to do a cover of Big Brother and the Holding Companies. Yeah. Album with, with fucked up stuff. It looks so good, man. It's incredible, and I've seen it. I never knew what it was from. I, I've only ever seen it online, and I was very very impressed. But uh, you're right. And that Big Brother, which, of course, was originally done by Robert Crumb. Mm-hmm. So it was a great nod that way, too. But uh, it is. It's an incredible-looking thing. I don't know. Was that ever, like, for sale? Like, what is it? It's just a one-off commission thing? It was just a one-off commission thing. I think we made it into a T-shirt on a couple okay. tours ago, maybe last tour. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was just like a commission thing that this guy got Brian to do and my God, it's awesome. Yeah. It's I've, got a, I've got a couple pieces of art by Brian. Like he's d- did a picture of me years and years ago that, uh, he added a show and he gave to Joan and he's like, go, go, go this to Damien. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, I got him to do a picture of Holden and I together. Nice. Um, I got him to do a, a t-shirt for fucked up when we did a t-shirt with Altamont. That was a play oh, okay. on the, yep. do you remember the SST punk versus raver shirt? Yes. It's been talked about on the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did a parody of it um, with nice. Brian uh, drawing it and stuff. So yeah. So, you know, someone that I've gotten and acquired art from myself and someone that I recommend you do the same from. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that it? Do we think? Yeah, I'm good. Unless, like you said, unless you've got something, I'm good. Uh, that's it, buddy. Uh, how do they get in touch with us here at this podcast? Well, to write us here, it's turned out a punk footnotes at gmail.com. And, uh, we will, uh, we'll be seeing you next week. Uh, this week on the show, Matt Jackson, formerly of iron age and Coptic times. So that'll be a fun thing for us to discuss now builds motorcycles. Nice. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's next week on the show. A lot of cool stuff coming up. Got a lot of cool, a lot of cool episodes in the next few weeks. Sweet. I'm excited. Uh, All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening and I will see you next week or we will see you next week. Right, Chris? Yes, for sure. You're not planning on, uh, leaving me and joining (laughs) another podcast, right? I'm not. No, (laughs) that's good. That would really play into my insecurities. All right. Thank you everyone for listening. (laughs) 